What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 143 of the Lynch with Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders, find out how they have learned to lead with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the spaces and the places that God has put us. Well, it always means a ton. I was somewhere last week and somebody came up and started talking about the podcast. It means the world. There are actually people out there listening and to find out how many are listening always amazes me. And so when you stop and leave a rating or review, it really does help other people find their way to us. This is from a very good friend of mine, Megan Strange, who is one of the greatest leaders I know. She posted on iTunes, one of the most helpful disciplines I've added to my leadership is to take a long walk each day. Part of my walk is to clear my head find space to think and dream. The other part of my walk is usually dedicated to lunch with a leader in an effort to learn and grow from the conversations that Mike has with an incredible variety of leaders. Thank you, Megan, for listening in. You are awesome, and it means the world to find out how many of you listen while you drive, how many of you listen while you work or walk on the treadmill or you're taking a lunch break. I don't know where you listen, but it means a ton that you listen. Well, today, I think you're going to enjoy my guest, Shannon Popkin. Shannon and I are going to break down the the battle of comparison that every leader fights. Just that comparison of, you know, as a parent or as a student or as a leader, comparing yourself to another leader. Shannon is a a mom. She's a wife. She's an author. She's a speaker. She's a Bible teacher. But her heart is making sure that people walk true with Jesus. She hosts the Live Like It's True podcast. Her latest book, Comparison Girl, is so good. And we took a lot of concepts out of that and apply it across all facets of leadership as we talk about how comparison plays in to leadership. You are going to love Shannon. She is a breath of fresh air. She is sharp. She is on it. And you are going to enjoy it. So I want you to pull up a chair, pull out something to write on, and listen in to my conversation with Shannon Popkin. Well, Shannon, it is such an honor to have you on the Lynch for the Leader podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. Oh, it's my honor to be with you. You know, it's always good to find somebody that has been on a journey similar to similar to our journey. We both were at (laughs) liberty at the same time. Tell me a little bit about your walk with the Lord and how it all began and walk me back a little bit. Sure. You know, at Liberty, I was training to be a teacher and, but I have to say one of my very favorite classes at Liberty was literature of the Bible. So it was Mm. like combining studying the Bible with the literary components of the Bible. And 
I didn't, I didn't foresee that that would be something that would become just who I am and what I do. But little by little, as my kids were little, I started just diving into Bible study, diving into writing and kind of the two have converged. And so I am a, an author and a speaker and love to write Bible studies at this point. That is so fun. When you were growing up, did you ever dream that would be the route since you were going the teacher route? Did you ever dream that God would use you in that way? Well, I did get to go to Young Authors Day when I was in, I think it was fifth grade. They only sent two kids from the fifth grade and I got chosen. So, I mean, I guess maybe then you could say (laughs) I got to experience Young Authors Day. (laughs) You know, it's one thing to read the Bible. It's another thing to fall in love with God's word. Mm, Where did that process of your falling in love with God's word, but where that became a something more than just a book that laid on your shelf, but really became an active part of your daily journey. So Mm. unpack that a little bit for me. Yeah, I think it was in those college years at Liberty, you know, just experiencing different hardships and difficulties and then going to God's word and and it just lighting up before me and and realizing like, oh, this actually has a lot to say about where I am, what my life is right now. And, and I think just experiencing, I, you know, the more I study it, Mike, the more it's like this well that goes deeper and deeper. What I love about God's word is it's simple enough for a kindergartner to understand the basic principles of the gospel and salvation. But as a 50 year old now, I'm just realizing, oh, I have not even scratched the surface. It mm-hmm. has, there is just this eternal depth <laughs> to the wisdom of God's word. And I don't, I hope I never run out of that passion and that joy of returning. And even the stories I know really, really well, I return to them and my eyes just open to new ideas and new truths that God is using uh, to help shape my heart and and give me direction. What's your daily discipline? So how do you stay? I mean, you're an author, you're a speaker. How do you keep that walk with the Lord fresh for you? Well, Part of it, I think, has to do with separating my devotional time from my work time, because Mm -hmm. I have my Bible open all day long, right, as I'm writing or prepping for a message. And so for me, it's like having different places where I do different things. So I sit here at my desk when I am writing. So this is my writing area. When I'm studying for a message, I have a different desk in the Mm -hmm. other room and all the books are laying open. And then when I'm spending time just with God, I have an indoor chair right now. I'm still in the outdoor chair because it's still, but I just have a special place where I go like, this is just my time. This is not a time I'm preparing to feed somebody else. This is just my time Mm. devotionally with the Lord. And, um, I have a prayer journal and, uh, that I, I bought, I don't know if you've ever seen these, Mike, it's a five year prayer journal. Wow. And a friend told me about it years ago. And so I'm in year five, so I can open the journal and be, and look at the date where I am and look back five years ago, what I was praying for and how the Lord has worked in these amazing ways and answered those prayers. It's really, I mean, I think it's a really faith building experience. So that those are some of the ways that I just try to, 
open my heart, you know, just to God, because it always has to be for me. Mm -hmm. If I'm pouring it out for somebody else, it always has to start with me. So when you look back, and I love that, you you look back over those five years, what do you learn about the Lord from looking back at who you were five years ago and what was going on in your life five years ago? What do you learn about the Lord you couldn't have learned if you hadn't have kept that journal? What have you discovered? What are the riches of the Lord that you've uncovered by doing it that way? Well, I think we forget so much, don't we? Mm. You know, as we're grappling with whatever it is in front of us, that seems like we just feel so clear headed about what the right thing would be. Like if God could just listen to me (laughs) or if this other person could just listen and gain my perspective, we would all be okay. And then looking back, you're like, oh, the things I was crying out to God for, he was redirecting me or he had a bigger purpose in that, or he was, um, he was growing me in that instance. You know, a lot of times I look back and I just realize, oh, I'm the one who had something that I needed to grow in, or I needed to learn. Um, and, and I think also just seeing God's sovereignty, mm. there are a couple of places that I've seen where I asked God for things and like years later, he gave them to mm. me and he arranged those details. Like he responded, the God of the universe responded to me. I just think, wow, that is amazing. And that he, he has the power to do that. And he loves to give good gifts to his children. And, you know, I might even forget I had asked those things. That's or right. I think Maybe, you know, maybe I did. I can't exactly remember, but it reminds me of the, the passage where the angel visits Zechariah and says, God has answered, answered your prayer. And I don't know if Zechariah kept a prayer journal, but I'm guessing he no longer was asking God to give them a baby mm. since he was so shocked. <laughs> that right. is, like, right. He's like, uh, no, you're not actually like, that's not what you mean. Right. And um, how can this be? How can this be? So God answered his prayer probably from years and years prior. So I just love, you know, having record of the things I've asked God for and the ways that he's listened to me, his daughter. You know, as you read scripture, I know that there's probably certain characters you really identify with, and there's so many great characters in scripture. Who's a leader in scripture or a, or a person in scripture that you look at outside Christ and go, man, their life has taught my life so many lessons. Who, who would that character be for you and, and why have they resonated with your soul so much? Sure. Well, is it okay if I use negative examples too? Absolutely, please. <laughs> uh, so I wrote a study called Control Girl and I studied seven controlling women in the Bible. <laughs> and so the, these are stories from mostly from Genesis. Miriam's story is in Exodus and Numbers, but um, I just like looking in on these women's lives and watching the way that they were just white knuckling it, you know, through and trying to grip and grasp onto what seemed right from their little small minded perspective, like what they wanted and what they were striving for. And, and, you know, I mean, we could, we could look at current women that we know and look into their lives and see like them doing the same thing. I mean, women Mm -hmm. all around us are doing that. Say they're white knuckling it through and they're making these mistakes. But the vantage point we have with the Bible is we get to see centuries later, we get to see what, what God was doing. We get to see how the things that they were holding on to so tightly and grappling with, they just weren't 
uh, as important as it probably seemed from the ground level. So like, for example, one of my favorite stories, uh, not because of it being an inspiring story, but a lesson story is Rachel. Mm. Because we see Rachel, like she's like pacing in front of this empty crib. Like she wants babies and she wants them so that she can get ahead of her sister, Leah. She wants to outdo her sister and she's like frustrated and fretting. And, and I mean, Rachel got to be the mother of Joseph. <laughs> like she got to have this amazing role here. God is birthing the nation of Israel, his chosen people. And Rachel got to be Joseph's mom. And yet when she has baby Joseph and she's looking into his little face and she names him, the name that she gives Joseph is may he add. And so you just, you just hear the thirstiness of his soul. Like, yeah. And I want another one too. <laughs> like, mm. this is good, but I'm still thirsty. You know, may mm. he add, may God add to my side of the family tree. This isn't enough. And then God does give her another baby. Um, and it's Benjamin, but then her life is cut short. Mm. And so you just look at her whole thirsty life, grappling with all the things she was craving and wanting and not recognizing, like, look what God is doing for you, girl. Like yep. you get to have this amazing place in redemptive history. And then, and then I just, just to, if I could add one more little thing, yeah. I love the contrast between Rachel and her son, Joseph. Yep. Right. Because Joseph has that perspective. Joseph is the one who says you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And so he just has this beautiful perspective of even the, the, hardships, the hard things. I mean, he was imprisoned and he was wrongly accused, like all of that grappling with how, why God, how God, like Joseph understood that God was doing something good. Mm, that's so good. You know, you look at all those great characters and you, you wonder if we were able to talk to them, when did they begin to say, okay, I think God's using me. I think, you know, I think my life has a bigger purpose and you know, we take Joseph, I, I don't know where he was in his journey when he thought my life's going to impact millions of people, not only in my season, but mm -hmm. throughout history. When did you begin to see yourself as a leader more than just a girl who loves the Bible, but you began to see, okay, I think God's called me to do something even greater. How did that process come about for you in leadership? Well, you know, I did have to work through a lot of inadequacies, a sense, you know, feelings of inadequacy and um, feeling like, I mean, I don't have a seminary degree. You know, I haven't done the training you have, Mike. I don't, do I even know what I'm talking about here? Like I'm an elementary school teacher who, what business do I have? Right. Like almost nope. apologizing for myself. And I think a lot of leaders feel that way, whether mm. they do have the training or they don't, you just have this sense of imposter syndrome and inadequacy. And, you know, for me, it has really helped to look back and, and watch the doors that God supernaturally has opened for me. Um, I do think he has given me some raw gifts and talents that he has allowed me to cultivate. And um, he's, I mean, just given me the, the life that I could spend days at a time with my Bible open and, and grappling with the scriptures. But um, I look back and I see like early on, 
the very, okay. So the, the very first speaking I did was at a mom's group at my church with my mom and we spoke together and we walked out of the room and she was like, Oh, I never want to do that again. And I was almost giddy. I was like, that was the best. I loved that. And uh, there was a woman in the back of the room, one of the leaders, and she just whispered in my ear. She said, Shannon, that was really powerful. You should think about writing that down. You should think about turning that into an article. And that had never occurred to me. Hmm. Um, so look at that, that little, you know, just a little seed she planted. And so I thought, I, I want to try that. I've never written anything. So I just decided to go home and start trying to write an article. And so when I got it finished, it was like two months of ma- of nap time, I think. <laughs> While the kids were napping, I was busy trying to arrange these words, these thoughts and passions in my heart. Well, I sent it to only uh two places I could think of. Did you happen to know Del Faisenfeld at Liberty? I knew the name. I did know that name. Yep. So his dad is the founder of Life Action Ministries, which is the the parent organization for Revive Our Hearts. I actually have have been um, on the blogging team for Revive Our Hearts for many years. Uh, But I sent it to my friend Del. He was my roommate's boyfriend in college. And, you know, I knew he was an editor of a little magazine and, um, and he accepted it. And then I also sent it to to focus on the family because you know well they they do family oriented yep. mothering kind of things and they accepted it too <laughs> and then wow. I had a problem <laughs> then I had a problem because I didn't know you weren't supposed to do simultaneous <laughs> submissions <laughs> but we worked it out and both of them uh, published an article by and that was you know so those were doors that God was opening and I had no idea looking back like when I was in college I had no idea that I wanted to be a writer, but here God was providentially putting this network in place before I even knew to knock on the door. And then when it was time to like submit an article, well, oh, my friend Debbie's husband, he, mm. he's a, you know, he's an author. And, and so that I just, I, that gives me such peace and comfort to look back and see how God has providentially Amen put my network in place, open doors, you know, that, that door with focus on the family opened other doors. And then I began writing and, or I'm sorry, speaking, mostly speaking first and writing. I wrote for mom sense, which was mops internationals magazine and just little ways, you know, getting started. And I said, I'd never write a book. Oh, cause you know, it took so much work to write a magazine article. Yeah. How could I ever write a book? And then, you know, started writing, writing books too. So it's just looking back, I think, seeing how God has providentially opened doors, but also the way that he uses my words and hearing from others and how, I mean, you know, before we started today, Mike, you and I were talking about how we, as, as communicators, I mean, we can put together a message we can put a fork in the road. That's our job, right? Yep. To say, this is what God calls you to, but we can't get anybody no. to open their heart to that message or act on that message. Every single time someone does so, it is an act of God. And yep. I have been privy to many acts of God. And it has just been this amazing series of miracles. What's the greatest struggle you've had? growing into the person God created you to be because you start to get in this and you're like, okay, I think this is what I'm supposed to be doing. What has been your biggest struggle behind the curtain growing in to that person God created you to be? Wow. So many struggles. Um, One struggle for me is perfectionism. Mm. That really, you know, I, I'll cheat sleep. I'll cheat (laughs) 
<laughs> I'll cheat time with my family. I'll, I won't give myself a weekend because I, I want it to be perfect. And so that's been something I've had to grapple with is like, it's never going to be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this year in Bible study, we studied Genesis and you know, the story of um, Jacob mm -hmm. with his, uh, when he was like, he was putting those sticks near the flocks and it, he, the striped sticks. I never understood that before. So it was, there was some, some sort of, I don't know if it was an old wives tale or something, but it was like, if you were, if you, if you made them striped, then the babies would be striped or speckled. Mm -hmm. And, and so you know, his father-in-law would say, well, only the speckled babies are going to be yours. Well, he would make the speckled sticks and then they'd, there'd be speckled babies, you know, and only, oh, you know, so anyway, so he, he was busy, you know, setting up his sticks and, <laughs> and then there's some verse, I can't remember exactly in Genesis, I could, I could share it later, but it's like, you look back and you just see, oh no, God was the one doing that. And here he is, you know, stripping his little sticks <laughs> and right. trying to, you know, putting them in the ground. I just see him so, like staying up till one in the morning, you know, making his sticks look the way that he, he wanted them to. And that's me, you know, I just convinced myself that it's my work and that I have to, you know, just give more time. And, and you look back and you see, no, actually it was all God's work <laughs> or anything, anything supernatural that happened. That was God's work. So, um, I would say perfectionism. I think also criticism is really, really hard for me. Um, I'm a people person and I, it really matters to me what other people think of me. Uh, and sometimes Mike, I have looked back. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I have looked back at certain criticisms I've received and situations where there was interpersonal conflict and things that just didn't make sense to me, you know, cause I just didn't see it the way another person did. And I've seen God's hand in that as well. Mm -hmm. First of all, in humbling me, always humbling me. Like that's always a gift of God to humble me, but also like sometimes redirecting me, yep. uh, you know, just superimpo superimposing his sovereign plan on my life through these extraneous details. And, and I, I hope that I'm growing, um, enough to recognize like, okay, like I might never be able to win the approval of these people that I long to have their approval, yep. but, but here's what I can trust that God is overseeing it. And that even if we part ways, even if, um, it doesn't go the way I had hoped. If he moves me to a different group or a different, you know, ministry or a different role that he is directing my paths, <laughs> you know, as I trust him, he's directing my paths, even through hard situations. I love that's a great answer because I think, and it really ties into your new book. I think we all forget there's an enemy at work, right? Mm -hmm. So while God is working, there's an enemy that knows our weakness. And, and there's a word that you built your whole book off of, and the word is comparison. And that that comparison isn't something ladies just struggle with. It's a, it's a guy struggle. It's a, it's a leader struggle because we may laugh at teenagers looking at Instagram. I was speaking to a group of college kids last night, you know, and they're, they live on Instagram and TikTok and all that. And they're always comparing their lives. Well, you shouldn't do that, but we really don't grow out of it. We do it as we grow up. Where did the whole comparison trap 
come from? Is that something new to our society? Or do you look back and go, my comparison's been there in the negative part of comparison. We'll get some positive parts of it. The negative part of comparison's been there all along. What would you say? Yeah, it has, mm. right? I mean, and I agree, we have an enemy who's after us. Um, and if you look at the, the verses in James chapter four, um, he says, if, if, there, if you have selfish ambition, if you have jealousy or selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. Um, this is not the wisdom that comes from above. This is wisdom that's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Look at that word demonic. Uh, so that just ties it to the enemy's agenda for our lives. Our enemy wants for us to be jealous of each other, to be distracted, to be always selfishly ambitious, trying to promote ourselves and get ahead of somebody else. And why does he want that? It's because oh, there's so much distraction in that. So much sideways energy mm -hmm. that goes, you know, we're called to run our race and so much sideways energy and looking, how am I doing next to them? Or, how, you know, am I ahead or are they ahead? And, oh, it just can steal your whole life, right? And, and our God has different roles for each of us. Like, it's not about trying to outdo each other. Like, you know, we're called to something different. So then if we're trying to outdo each other, we're really keyed into our en enemy's objective for our lives. Mm. You know, a leader, a leader deals with so much that's external, they can't control. Mm -hmm. Comparison's mm -hmm. internal, That that's a, something we do control. What happens to a leader as you've worked in all these years and through all these, these seasons of leadership, what happens to a leader if they don't get a handle on what the comparison trap can do to them, the negative piece of this? What can happen to that leader? What, what in their soul, what can happen to them? Well, I think it just eats your potential, mm, right? Mm, it good. just eats it for lunch. Um, because first of all, like I just said, it distracts you. It distracts you from your purpose. You have a God-given purpose to lead the people that God has given you, not the people that God has given somebody else mm, to lead, right? Mm. Uh, and then, so I think it, it distracts you and it isolates you from the people who are supposed to be, they're not your competition, you're, they're your teammates, right? Um, and we feel so isolated. We pull back because we either feel judged by other people or we look at others who are prospering and we think, oh, that's the proof that I'm not measuring up. Look who just got promoted. Mm -hmm. And we feel, you know, it's just too painful, right? And so we pull back and we isolate or we guard. We, we you know, we don't want to let other people see our flaws. Mm -hmm. So we pop. We put up all these guards around ourselves. Um, and so, but isolating, I mean, that we can't get a lot done by ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, can we all agree on that? If you want to be a leader in isolation, there is very little you can do. That's You've right. got to work with your teammates. God has given you those teammates. None of us are called to an isolated leadership role, right? But then I, I think one more thing that um, comparison does is it just depletes our productivity. 
Like think about all the time and energy, you know, we just talked about being criticized. Think about all the time and energy that goes into worrying and stress over what will they think of me? What are they thinking of me? What are they saying about me? You know, I can spend entire weeks just kind of in a dark place over a poor review or some, some really critical email that I got. And I'm sure you, you could too, right? Uh, All of us could, we could give ourselves to that. It can just be a distracting, isolating, you know, just depleting experience. And it just can eat our potential. That's right. That eating your potential is an interesting statement because God does have a plan for our lives and the potential to, to, to get to that plan. Many times we can self-sabotage it by these things. You brought up something in your book I thought was really interesting that Jesus loved to use comparison to help mm-hmm. journeys. I've never thought of that about that before. How is the comparison that Jesus uses to drive us to our potential and to what he has created us for different than the way comparison is used in the negative way? Yeah. Yes. You know, so Jesus uses all these comparison stories, doesn't he? Um, You know, the parable of the talents or the parable of the good Samaritan or, and in real life too, he uses, he, he invites us to compare. Do you remember the story of the widow who brought her two copper coins to the temple? And Jesus like uses that as this teachable moment. He calls his disciples over and look at her. She's the example here. She has given more, like that's a comparison word, more, Mm -hmm. right? And in Martha, and Mary, he says, Mary has chosen the better thing. You know, he, he puts them in side by side, but I, I especially love the comparison stories that Jesus uses, like, um, just the parable of the talents, for instance, he could have told the story so that they each got equal amounts. You know, if I were going to do it that way, I would just probably have two, one buried it and one did not Right. And then you have the contrast, but instead Jesus has three people in the story. And so you've got the one who buried it. And then you've got two others. One guy has three, I'm sorry, one guy has two and the other has five talents and they both double what they've been given. And I think the temptation for the guy with two is to look over at the guy with five and do what the guy with one did, just Mm -hmm. bury it and say, well, I can never accomplish what that person can accomplish. You know, I have, you know, I have a smaller platform. I have a smaller team. I have less influence. Forget it. I'm not even going to try. Right. But what I love about that parable is, is the two servants um, who were faithful and with what they had been entrusted with, they brought back the one who had two doubled it and brought back four. The one who had five doubled it and brought back uh, 10. And in the text, if you look at it side by side, the words are exactly the same for both of them. Uh, The master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, You know, you've been entrusted with, with, uh, I think it goes, you'll, you've been entrusted with little and I welcome in welcome to the joy of mm. your master. So there's like this, that, that isn't all there is like the end of this age is not all there is. I think that's what Jesus is consistently calling us to. Um, at the end of that parable, they're welcomed into the joy of their master. There's this coming age where all of our work as leaders, all of our influence, all of our stewarding, all of our faithfulness, it's its not just, it doesn't just get tallied at the end of our life. It leads to 
this coming king and this coming kingdom where everything is turned on its head. And there will be those, Jesus tells us over and over and over, he makes these comparison statements. There will be those who did really well in this world, who rose above and who got ahead and who had enormous success in this life. But in that kingdom, it will all be turned on, mm. on its head. And, and the greatest will not be great in yep, heaven. That's right. But the one who who serves, the one who puts themselves last, the one who empties themselves, that's what greatness is going to look like in the kingdom of God. And so I think Jesus is consistently calling us with his comparison ideas and stories and messages. Don't fall prey to this enemy who has this whole world set up to get you comparing, <laughs> to get you looking sideways so that you're distracted from your real job, your real role. Instead, look ahead to that kingdom and live by the value statements made in that kingdom so that in, that will reshape this life and you will be called to this amazing life and get to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You, you make a you make a point in that I think it's really good. You talked about um, comparing without measuring. Mm -hmm. So, and I thought that was interesting. I never heard anybody yeah. say it quite like that before. How do you break those two things down? Right. If we can just take off the the measurements that we impose on comparison. I mean, are we are we're not we're not the same, right? <laughs> and you know, we I I like to use this little metaphor of a measuring cup. So if, if we could all just picture, we each have a measuring cup and, and we have different amounts of different things mm -hmm. in our measuring cup. Some of us are better communicators, right? Some of us are, have just more influence with people. Um, others of us are good with details and, you know, we just, we have all different skills and aptitudes and gifts in our measuring cup. And we got different amounts, that's like, right. you know, and, and that's why God puts us together because I need a little of what you've got in your measuring cup and you need a little bit of what I have in my measuring cup. But if we're always focused on the lines and putting value statements, measurements on what's in our measuring cup, here's what we'll do. We'll just keep our measuring cup like right side up. We'll never tip it because <laughs> we don't want to give up what's yeah. in our cup. We don't want to pour it out. We're just so focused on ourselves. But Jesus was the leader who emptied himself. Philippians 2 says that Jesus not, did not come um, with a goal. It, it says equality, equality with God was not a thing that he wanted to grasp. It wasn't like Jesus took his measuring cup and wanted to grasp onto all of his greatness. Of course, Jesus's measuring cup was yep. completely brimming full, right? And, and bigger than any measuring cup that we could ever imagine. But, but what did Jesus do? Philippians 2 says he emptied himself. Mm. He made himself nothing. He took the role of a servant and gave his life up on the cross. And because of that, because of his beautiful humi humility, God has given him the name that is above all names. How do you, if, if, a, if a leader called you for coaching and they said, Shannon, I read your book, my wife had, you know, the book on the shelf or the wife <laughs> says, I finally read it and I'm struggling with this. And I know what to tell my kids as kids, what they should do, but what should I, as a leader do? I have to be on social media. I have to follow people. I have to do that. What advice and coaching would you give somebody if they said the comparison thing is, is the, is the, it's the bear trap for me. It's what gets me every time. What yeah. would you coach and teach them to do? 
you know, there's three questions that I always return to just in weighing my own heart with comparison. The first one is, am I just too focused on me? Mm. Am I just too focused on myself? You know, thinking of that measuring cup, am I putting my cup next to somebody else's and measuring? Am I making it a value statement? You know, yes, we're different, but am I turning it into we're both valued. We both have gifts. Um, am I just too focused on me? The second is who can I be vulnerable with in my struggle? Because, you know, like we mentioned before, comparison leads to isolation. And so we tend to pull back from each other when we're comparing. And I'm not saying that we need to be vulnerable with everybody, but there's got to be somebody when we're grappling with like, look how God has blessed that leader over there. You know, look at how, how their platform has just grown. And I am still, you know, I'm still speaking to a group of 100 p- people and that person over there is now speaking to 5,000. What do no. I do with that? Like that is just, it's <clears throat> difficult. And, and that's where, I, you know, I, I might set, start with, am I just too focused on me? Like, my, what if I'm just more equipped for a group of 100 people, you know, what if I shine in a group of 100 people and, you know, God needs people on a platform in front of 100, the same as he needs people on a platform for 5,000, that leader for 5,000 is probably not as gifted to lead a group of hundred and vice versa. Right. So if I can get past myself, but I do need to find somebody to talk to that about, talk about that with, you know, just to be vulnerable with, because like we mentioned earlier, this is a spiritual battle. This mm. is a way that our enemy comes after us. And we, if we are in a room by ourselves trying to do this battle, oh, there's so much room for error. And there's so many ways that we can just, our thinking can get bogged down and we need, we need the truth. We need somebody else to say, well, I mean, it just, this doesn't seem like as ridiculous as your, as it seems to you. Like for instance, I just, um, I was in, I'm in a mastermind group and there was somebody in our group who was sharing just how all the ways God was blessing her next season. And, you know, all these things that, that God was going to be doing in her life. And I was struggling because it had been my turn to ask for some input. And I looked at what she was doing and what I was doing and they were so mismatched. Mm. Right. And I just felt like my, it just, I felt like a, a, you know, like the Bible says, a grasshopper in her, (laughs) right? I just felt so small next to her. And my, um, you know, my next steps or my uh, decisions that I was making, they just, they seemed rather insignificant. And so after that meeting, I called another friend who'd been in the meeting. And I just, I just shared that with her. I said, I just, oh, I felt icky after that. I felt so small. And she said, Shan, like, I just, she said, I just see God's favor all over your life. Mm. I just see him using you in these amazing ways. At that point, I was right in the middle of my Spanish launch. So my book released in Spanish and we had over 300 women from, I think it was at least 20 different Spanish speaking countries on this launch team. And that it was right in the middle of that. She goes, look at this. I mean, is this not big in your eyes? And I was like, you know, you're right. I wasn't thinking about that. Like, look how God is using me in this other way. So it's just different. Right. And so I think somebody bringing somebody into that conversation that you're having, you know, with the Lord and trying to refute those lies. I think that can be really valuable. And then I think just the third thing, you know, 
am I too focused on me? Who can I be vulnerable with? And then who else can I focus on? Mm. Who else can I serve today? Because comparison with these value statements attached, it's attached. It's always me focused. I'm always thinking about myself. I might be glancing sideways, but really my focus is on me. And Jesus just consistently calls us to this me free way of looking at the Mm. world. Mm. You know, you have not been given what is in your measuring cup to make yourself feel better about yourself, to outdo somebody else, to look at their cup and say, I have more. No, (laughs) you are given whatever is in your cup to serve other people. And and the beautiful thing is when you tip that measuring cup, the lines don't matter anymore. They're irrelevant, right? So that just hold on to that little image in your mind. Like, who can I serve? How can I pour myself out? How can I lift somebody else today? And there is just such freedom in that. You know, and that really ties in with one of your principles out of the book, owning your different. You know, Mm -hmm. God created you unique. God created you to be a special voice for him. Why is it so critical for a follower follower to know that God created them uniquely with a different measuring cup, with different talents, with different skill sets? Why is it so good? They don't look at everybody as equal, but they look at everybody as equally loved by God, but not equal in talents and abilities. Why is that so critical that there's that they see through that lens when Mm -hmm. looking at it? Well, yeah, I think the the natural response is it hurts so much. Mm. So just don't compare, just don't do it. Because you just feel like this icky tenderness, you know, like how I was feeling in that mastermind group. Whereas, oh, wait a second, I'm called to this group of Spanish women right now. Like she's not called to them, but I am right. And so I think owning my different means looking at the way, okay, what, what's my assignment? And, and every assignment has value in the kingdom. If you listen to Jesus and look at his teaching through that comparison lens, you will see it everywhere there is red on your page. It's like, we all have a uh, value, but it's, it's in serving, not in lifting ourselves up, but in emptying ourselves. So owning my different is all about, okay, God, what did you put in my measuring cup? And in, in, when I'm sitting in a, in a circle of leaders, you know, that's where often I, those who do what I do, that's really where I'm tempted. And I don't know if you feel this way, Mike, like maybe you have a, a meeting of pastors in your community, yeah. or, you know, I might be getting together with other writers and speakers. And, and my temptation is to look sideways and then just to, oh, I just want to isolate. I want to pull back or I want to posture in that yeah. group. I don't want to be vulnerable. But what's most helpful in as I'm interacting with my brothers and sisters is to to really lean in and listen to how they're talking and the passions that God has given them and ask, okay, how am I different than them? You know, the way we might be doing the same thing. We might have churches in the same communities. We might, we might be, we might have similar ministries, but when I'm with them, God helps me see, okay, yeah, but I'm a little bit different. You know, my calling's different. I have a different giftedness or I have a different background. I'm not called to this particular group of people or this particular, I mean, we all have, we're we're working towards unity in the Bible, but we're not working towards conformity, right? There's a difference between um, uniformity and unity, 
Unity is when we maintain our differences, right? That's Uniformity right. is when we all give up our differences. And so I think as leaders, we have to recognize our differences and, and look at what has God done? How has he given me something unique uh, as a leader here at this table? And, and what, what do I have to uniquely offer here? You, you made a statement there. We'll wrap up with this. You, you made a statement. What's my assignment? You know, David, it's said of David in the book of Acts that he served his purpose in his generation and then he was done. Hmm. Knowing what you know now, what do you think is the assignment that the Lord put Shannon Popkin on earth to accomplish that nobody else could accomplish quite like she could? What would you say? Well, you know, I grew up in church. And I feel real comfortable in church and I love my Bible. And so I feel real comfortable in Bible study and, and I can uh, feel, I have a comfort level around church ladies. You know, I'd rather be in that room where we're talking about Bible study than any other room. And there are others who feel exactly the opposite, <laughs> right? They're intimidated by church ladies. They don't get them. They feel like, oh, I didn't grow up in church. And, but here's what I'm called to. I can invite my sisters to look at, take a hard look at that superiority that they feel and the way that they, you know, have disgust in their hearts when they look at other sinners, quote unquote sinners, right? Because I do it too. I get that. I, ex I that's my experience. So I think just looking at who I am and what God called me to, I feel particularly called to the church ladies, the ones who tend to have these superiority complexes. Now, there are others who are called to those who feel inferior and they have these, you know, these hard, uh, difficult, uh, you know, pasts. I don't have that. I have a beautiful Christian family that I, that I came from. My parents are still serving the Lord in amazing mm -hmm. ways. And so I think, you know, just understanding that God has platformed me in that way. So that's what I talk about. You know, I don't, I don't talk about, all, I, I don't think that my audience will relate as well. Now I can talk about you know, insecurities and inferiorities sure. like we, like we just have, but not in the same way as others. So I think just honing in on, you know, so as I, as I choose a book to write about, probably not going to write a lot about identity. Cause that's just not, I haven't had those experiences that have shaped that, you know, that's just not who I am. And there is somebody else who is more equipped to write that book than me. You know, I don't think we ever get over comparison. I thought when I got in my 50s, I would just care about me and care about what I do. And I still look around. I still wonder. I still uh, am concerned about what others think of me. And boy, Shannon did such a great job helping us get our arms, not around, not only around why our kids struggle with it, but while we still struggle with it as leaders. Thank you, Shannon. Well, our next episode, we continue to move on with great leaders for a third time guest. One of my absolute most challenging and inspiring people out there, and that's Dr. Sam Chand. Many of you have responded, and you've talked to me before about what you get out of every time Dr. Chand's on. This is going to be just like all the others, and we're going to be talking about his newest book, Change Has Changed. So good. So he, he just takes life and breaks it out 
and it's so good. If you enjoyed today's episode, share it with a friend and make sure and subscribe on whatever platform you listen on so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for joining in. I pray you have a great one. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com. 